0: I didn't always advocate. I didn't always know what to do. It, it was brought to my attention. And like I said, you know, I just ruminated or that thought or that inner knowing. And I'm really grateful because now I can give back in a way that I couldn't before when I was making 1450 an hour. And today, you know, I get paid as my son, CNA. And I also have a salary for my company and all of the money that we earn on my son goes to charity and advocacy. Welcome to the Unforgotten Families Podcast, an action-oriented community of
1: hope, inclusivity, and compassion for all medically fragile families. This podcast was created to spread awareness, share solutions, and advocate for the needs of these resilient individuals. It's our hope that the information and stories we share will inspire and empower you to join us in advocating for these families and help to ensure that they are never forgotten. Hello, tough advocates. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unforgotten Families podcast. Today, we are really excited to be sharing the story of Andrea Reitzel and her family, She is the mother of her daughter, Maddie, and her son, Alexander, who is her 11-year-old, Miracle. He was diagnosed with cancer at a very young age and is currently cancer-free for over nine years, which is amazing. Andrea has an interesting story with the Family CNA program. She went from mother to CNA to business founder and operator of all for kids Home Health in Colorado. So listen to this episode if you want to hear her amazing story. And I would just like to say thank you, Andrea, for joining us today.
0: I'm glad to be here. Through a friend, Garrett found us, a couple other special needs moms that she recommended to him. So I'm grateful that I do believe we do have a unique story. He talked about... My daughter and son, my daughter's 14. My son's 11. My daughter was gifted at the age of one and she could say 50 words. And I, I didn't know that she was gifted. I had no idea Um, until someone else who had three children said my daughter was a prodigy. So I, she speaks three languages fluently, uh, Chinese and Spanish and English. What? I have to speak about her because when her brother was born he was sick from, he had his first surgery at six weeks. She was, you know, raring to go and we had instant crisis. And so it, it definitely was a big challenge for our family. He had the next surgery at 12 weeks and, you know, it just continued. I kept saying, what's wrong with my son? What's wrong with my son? Ended up getting my daughter into a preschool because she was gifted and we had so, so many challenges. His first uh, admission to the hospital, we were on vacation in Arizona. <laughs> so we've been to Arizona Children's Hospital and uh, met doctors there, and then we got home, and then it was surgery. And you know, he had continued to have problems. And at 17 months old, we went to the chiropractor, which we regularly did as a family. He had been delayed; he was always sick with some upper respiratory. He was on breathing treatments, and she said, "You know, he's got a lazy eye, and they they need to um, take care of that." Right around 18 months, they start patching and. So she's like, I was like, I can't take him back to the pediatrician. Every time we go there, he catches whatever bug is in the office and then we're sick and he loses weight. And we just, I just can't take him. Do you have a recommendation? So she sent us to a children's eye physicians and we saw a doctor and an ophthalmologist and she came to me. I just thought I was going to get a Spider-Man patch to cover up his strong eye to make his weak eye stronger. And she said, this is a mass behind the eye, most likely going to require chemotherapy. And I was like, you what? She's like, I'm going to go call the retinal specialist. If she had said I was calling the retinal surgeon, I might've been a little bit more freaked out now that I know more. <laughs> so the next day we saw 11 doctors at uh, university hospital. He was diagnosed within a few days with retinoblastoma. It's an eye cancer. We had choices, and they said there's a cure, and that they're doing in New York. So the next week we were in New York. He was too sick at that time to get any kind of chemo, and he was admitted. So we got there, and he was supposed to have chemo the next day. So like within a day, they exam them, and then the next day they go in. Well, it's two different hospitals, and they had coordinated with one hospital with his insurance, but the other hospital denied him where he was supposed to have the surgery. It was a huge Issue because children with this kind of cancer, their eyes can be saved, their life can be saved in these certain locations. It's more prevalent now. He was immediately actually admitted to that hospital that he wasn't allowed to have the surgery, chemo surgery, and because he was so sick, he had RSV and the flu and cancer. So he's admitted for a week, and then our—I mean—it was like our life slowed. It was like in slow motion and at a rapid pace at all at the same time.
1: Can you tell me, like, take me back to the moment as a parent, the first time you hear cancer, like what, take me to that moment. Like, where were you and how, how did you feel in that moment?
0: When the doctor said it's a mask behind the eye, I was like, no, 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 no. She's like, it, it's a detached retina." I was like, he just fell out of the camper. He just rolled out of the camper. He's just learned how to roll. And he rolled and we hadn't had the camper and he fell three feet right off the camper. It was the detached retinas. You know, you hear about them from car accidents and, and she's like, yes, that's a possibility, but I'm going to say no. (laughs) And I was like, Oh,
1: that's so scary.
0: Yeah. But that was my, I was like, no, this, this isn't it. He, he fell. His retinas detached because he fell. And so that's, that My was ultimate denial and excuse. And so then the next day and they were like, yes, and these are your options. So we ended up in New York and we were in the hospital there for a week. And then he was well enough to get his first chemo. Now he was like, I don't know, under 20 pounds. He may have been six. He might've been only 15 pounds at the time. And he had his first chemo and it's better than systemic chemo because it goes into the eye. It, it's a neurosurgery that goes through the the groin up in the aorta into the eye so he's not having systemic chemo in the entire body i mean he had five of those chemo treatments they said it would take three and he had five and then he had a couple laser procedures and fortunately for us he got to save his eye and his we saved his life and he's been to new york now 34 times for scans and checkups to make sure that he's clear continues to be clear. Wow. They're not anticipating any more cancer. He is at risk for other primary and secondary cancers because of his, the retinoblastoma, the, on the 13th chromosome, most kids have like a little mutation of the chromosome. Alexander's cancer fighter is missing. Most kids with retinoblastoma are neurotypical. My son got the extra special one. And so he has the disabilities along with it. The global developmental delays, speech delay, physical, low muscle tone. Five years ago now, he was diagnosed with epilepsy. He's been failure to thrive his entire life. Even before cancer, he he was, he was struggled. But he is the happiest boy you will ever meet. So on top of all of that, you think about how his life has been challenged and he is happy. He has autism. He still needs people. PT, OT and speech. For those of you who don't know, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. Um, he gets music therapy. He gets a massage therapy. These are through the programs in Colorado um, that he is receiving all of that.
1: I know that it was just his 11th birthday last week or this, this week. week, this week. And you said he's, he's your miracle boy. And I would love to know, like, how does it, how does it feel like looking back on all this that you just explained to us, like. That he's here at eleven,
0: well, they said he would never walk or talk genetics when he got his genetics. He would never walk or talk. he'd be in diapers his whole life and And that's because they had experience with another child that had a similar disability that's I don't know probably ten, maybe twelve years older here in Colorado, and that child doesn't talk, and that child is in diapers, and that child has severe autism their cancer journey wasn't as big. They didn't have to have chemo for that child, but they had cancer, a laser did it. So that, that was their experience with the child like mine. And that child didn't have the, as much as mine, you know, so it was different, but there are lots of children with retinoblastoma that are fine after treatment. They may have an, uh, lost their eyes. They may have systemic effects from chemo or radiation or something like that. The fact that he is walking talking he's in a special ed classroom he is very functional in his life and he can't always tell us his needs especially in an emergency situation or if he's hurt or whatever he has a high tolerance for pain i mean these are the things that you know i would have never known but i i am so grateful i mean he said ba 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 <laughs> that was for everything for years now he's talking and i've had some google meetings recently and I've had to go, shh, shh, come on, shh, shh. Mommy's got to have this meeting. Then he says, may I interrupt? <laughs> so he's learning how to navigate his life. And it's really great because when they, I hate, hesitate to be like, oh, I have to tell him to, I have to go in the other room or I have to, because he can't stop talking when all I wanted him to do was talk when he was little. I mean, he's got to learn. We all have to learn our way in life. I mean, he still tested, I think, a year ago, a year and a half ago, and he still had the physical abilities of a three-year-old, and he's 11.
1: I would love to know what care he needs. Also understand when you became his CNA.
0: When Alexander was in cancer treatment, he was at the Anchor Center for Blind Children here in Colorado. He went to this you know, they did therapies for infants and toddlers. And since he had eye cancer, he qualified to go to the Anchor Center, which is an amazing organization. Any child with vision problems should go there if they're in Colorado. And so we went there. And one of the moms that was also, you know, you've spoken to her. She was like, you ought, you ought to become a CNA. You ought to you should do this. And I was like, well, we can't get Medicaid. Oh, my husband works. There's no way we can qualify. And she's like, no, 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 no. There's this waiver. For disabled kids. I figured it out and I didn't want to complete the waiver form because the waiver form said that he might not live till the age of 18. And I had to have the physician fill that out. And it was devastating for me to think that my son might not make it. And he we had just gotten out of cancer and it was just horrible. And so it took me some time, but I was encouraged to do it because they said, just do the form. You're going to get him the best health care possible. And I didn't do it immediately, which we ended up with like $12,000 worth of deductible payments because we, it wasn't immediately done in time. And the system lost the documents twice. Finally, I walked it in where it needed to go. And they're like, Oh, give that to us. I was like, Oh no, give me a receipt. (laughs) So he eventually got the, the care and I worked with the Colorado Medicaid and the hospitals in New York to get him qualified for there, and he did get on a waiver. It's called the Children's Life Limiting Illness waiver. He's still on that waiver today. There's multiple waivers in Colorado on how to get Medicaid. He's on that one because that was what worked for him, and he's still considered at risk for more issues. Like I didn't Epilepsy wasn't a part of the typical retinoblastoma, 13Q or belly syndrome situation. And then here we had epilepsy and we're calling EMS and the school's calling EMS and we have rescue meds and all of that stuff. And so during that time, I, I, I went to see, and I met with a company, a home care company, and Alexander was two, right. And we were still having side effects from chemo. And the nurse wasn't nice to me, the clinical case manager. She just wasn't nice to me. And I just didn't get it because here I am, you know, I, I just didn't get it. And I decided to go to school anyway, but I thought it just must be what it is. I was in IT before I became a special needs mom. I traveled the country. I implemented systems. And then I went to work for my husband on a different field at the time when the kids were born. Anyway, I was always a professional and I just didn't understand it. But I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Well, then my friend said, you know, you should check out this other company. I'm moving over to this other company. And I met with the other company and I was like, okay, I'm going with them. They're nice. I like them. Um, and I became a CNA for their company. And during the process, I was at the Anchor Center. Everyone there was like talking about their agencies that they work for. And there was no personal service. There was no understanding. And I was like, why isn't someone like us doing this? Why, why isn't? I'll tell you my recollection of what happened. And then I'll tell you what I learned a couple of years ago. So my recollection was that Megan, another special needs mom said, I'll come work for you. And I was like, I, you lost your mind. You know, she was like, I'll come work for you. You know, and I was like, no, I just got out of cancer. I'm not doing this. And it ruminated and it kept going. And I kept thinking about it. Now, about three years ago, I asked Megan. I said, you know, there's always two sides to every story. And this is what I recall. What did you say? And she said, I told you to put your money where your mouth is and that I would come work for you. And I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe that's why it stuck. And that's how all of her kids was born at the Anchor Center for Blind Children with a bunch of other special needs moms that didn't have an agency that knew what they were going through. So I just kind of felt like I could support. Them and I just I wanted to help kids and I wanted to help families. That was totally what I wanted to do. You know, let me help kids and families. What I realize now is way more work than helping kids and families. (laughs) It is so huge.
1: Yeah, all the documentation and all the regulations and making sure that all the the t's are crossed and the i's are dotted and you can't mess any of that up because these are legal documents and all of that. On top of customer service, a lot of it.
0: I have moms call me from time to time and say, I'm a registered nurse for my, my child. Will you take on nursing? Can I be the nurse? And we didn't do that for a long time. And frankly, we don't do that now. My, my son has had a registered nurse through the agency when, his, when he needed one. The school provides it now, but when the school wasn't providing it, all four kids provided a registered nurse for my son at school and at summer camp. For a period of time, he was really needing someone who could put, apply oxygen if he had seizures and the school systems can't provide oxygen. well, they they I think things have changed now and they can here, but it has to be specific, and we never knew what he was gonna need during that time. so so offer kids was born, I had all the regulations I started taking we had uh, families that did work pro bono so we could get set up. Have to do a certain number of test families or test patients. So I had a lot of families that volunteered to be our test families. It was still very hard. The transition from being a special needs mom to being a special needs mom with a kid who still needs care and trying to start a business. My friend said, I don't know any mom that gets out of cancer and says, Okay, I'm gonna start a business. And I was like, Yeah, me either. I mean, but really it's True, that many special needs families find a need in their community. And I can tell you, I probably know seven to 10 families right off the top of my head right now that have some kind of special needs business for respite care or like night lights. And there's other families who take therapists to third world countries because they've had the experiences here and they want to help less fortunate. I mean, there's just so much that special needs families and moms do you know, because they see a need in their community.
1: Yeah. Well, it makes sense because you really understand the needs. So it makes sense that you would know where the needs lie. And one thing I really love about your story is, you know, you are caring for your son. You go to this, the center that you go to and for blind kiddos and you make connections there and you find out about the CNA program. And then you're like, I'm going to start a company so that I can make sure that the families and the kiddos are receiving the best care because I feel I understand them. And it's really beautiful that this program not only enabled you to care for your son so that he got the best care, but also now is providing your family and other families this awesome value and connection that they wouldn't have otherwise. And because of that, I would really love to know your cuz you have a very unique perspective cuz you are a mother and someone that runs this type of organization and I would love to know how this program benefits families for people that don't quite understand what what are some of the benefits first to the kiddos and then second to the families
0: so my experience for the children is that they get a caregiver their parent who loves them already who is going to care for them and who is certainly going to be the best caregiver that they, they could ever have. And so they get the love. There's no desperation to get someone to come to their home, to care for their child. I mean, sometimes they need a nurse for overnight or something Like that, or they need respite care, which is both nursing and respite care, very difficult to get right now. So if the state were providing 40 hours a week instead of a parent doing it, which there are programs like that, it's really hard to staff. I think that for them, they get to provide the care and they have someone that loves them doing it. And there's income to the family I mean, we have a lot of single moms that their children could be institutionalized if this didn't work. And we're battling that right now as cuts are happening in Colorado. You know, some of these families like are really concerned about the benefits that they could be losing because of the new provider. That's the third party provider here in Colorado.
1: Can you tell me what it would look like for someone that's looking from the outside that doesn't like, what does life look like as a single mother with a special needs kid that does, that needs nursing or CNA care? Like what, what happens in their life if they don't have a nurse or their nurse doesn't show up or just to paint a picture for someone, or maybe you could have an example for them to understand.
0: But I'm thinking of a mom uh, right now who needed 24 hour nursing care. Her child was traked and vented and they couldn't keep nurses seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So sometimes mom would have three 24 hour shifts and try to function for her other child. And she had a husband who worked and outside the home. It was horrific for me at at all for kids. Often they were like, can you, can you staff nurses? Can you, and we're not a recruiting company. And I said, you know. And can can we bring your our nurses to offer kids from this other agency because you have better benefits? And I was like, I I had to make decisions that were really hard because I would be totally crushed if one of their nurses quit and we couldn't recruit a nurse for them. So there would be 24 hour shifts where there would be no nurse or 48 hour shifts where there would be no nurse. And that child's mom was sitting up in a rocking chair at the bedside while kiddo was sleeping and it's just terrifying and the things that i've seen happen to special needs children when nursing doesn't happen and also when there are nurses who don't really care from other agencies not any of ours because we don't handle nursing mostly but it's just really terrifying and upsetting if they don't have the care then they are the care if they're not a nurse they can't be paid as a nurse some of these families that require 24-hour nursing, they needed to go to CNA school, which is like two weeks, a week to two, you know, two weeks at a minimum, I think. And they couldn't get nursing to cover their child care for two weeks in order to become a CNA to be paid. I think that some families it has worked out for, but I've seen the worst case. And it's really difficult when, even these programs and they have other programs that are helpful too, that you don't have to become a nurse, but you have to have special requirements to get on those. And so it's just a battle. It's a battle to get neat services. It's a battle to get caregivers. And for those that ha- are single moms, single moms, they still, some of them get nursing overnight and then they're the CNA during the day. And then their kiddos eventually go to school, but it's, you can't work a regular job. With a special needs child. Most aftercare programs can't support the level of care that's necessary for some of these children before and after school to for a parent to maintain a 40-hour a week job. I don't know what some of these families would do without this program. There's been recent talk because we're having legislative updates because of the vendor here in Colorado, and they've put the authorization system on hold. They put it on hold for two years and now it's on hold again because they were denying family services that they may have gotten for many, many years. And so there were families on there saying, you know, my I'm a foster mom. I was a foster adopt mom and I'm the caregiver for these children. And if you're pulling these services, these kids could end up back in the system of foster care Is it, or DHS is going to come because I'm not going to be able to take care of them. To the level of care that they need, so I can work full time to cover our expenses, and it would be in the poverty level for some of these families. They would be on welfare, and they would not be able to. Some of these children run, you know, they run away from home. Some of them, you know, because and they have no understanding of what's going on, and and those who can't, it's still you only get a certain. A kid gets picked up on the bus in the morning if they're a grade school level. And then they're dropped off in the afternoon. There's like five, six hours someone could work. That's not enough to maintain a lifestyle of living and pay for an apartment. So it's a big challenge for some families. And I hope that um, healthcare policy and finance in Colorado really recognizes that.
1: The example you gave is a really good example because that mother who the kid needs 24-7 care and they weren't receiving that care and legally the state has to provide that care. Think about it's unsafe for the kiddo to have a mom who is sitting there doing every single thing that she can to ensure that kid doesn't go to a facility and can live at home and have a normal, the most normal life that they can, but it's actually unsafe for the kid and unsafe for her because there's not a nurse. And then when you implement something like the family CNA program, even though this is still a lot, she can do the days as the CNA. It's a little bit easier to find seven nights of nursing rather than 24-7. And so that's a perfect example of if she sent her kid to the facility, it would cost thousands of dollars a day. And this program is hundreds of dollars a day. And it's better for the kid. It's better for the mom. And it's better for the state. And that's, to me... Such a good example. So thank you for painting that picture for us.
0: You're welcome. And I just want to speak to, it's still difficult to find seven nights of nursing. But
1: it's easier than 24-7 is what I was saying. It's very hard to find even a weekend of nursing at night.
0: For sure. Since I don't get overnight nursing, I have challenges with Right now that agencies will say, other agencies will say, hey, we'll get you a nurse if you come over here and be our CNA. And then they don't provide the nurse because they can't. And so this is the lure to some of the families.
1: It's, it's, a, it's a revolving door because the nurses don't get paid enough. I mean, th- that's why this, I mean, again, like you're saying, even if you get the seven days of CNA and a couple nights of nursing, you know, that, that doesn't mean that it's going to solve the problem, but the way that I think of it is if, if you take a hundred families and, and you go to a state like Arizona that doesn't have the family CNA and there's a hundred families that need a hundred nurses, which really they need like 200 or 300 nurses for 100 yes. families, 50 of those families decide, you know what? Family CNA is better for me. And so now you have 50 families going after that group of nurses instead of 100 And so as time goes on, I believe that this is another way to create caregivers and create and make sure that families like that receive the nursing that really, really need it. And hopefully the families that might not need it as much are like, I'm going to, I'm going to be the caregiver and everyone is different. Some people are like, I don't want to be the caregiver. I would just like a break, please. Right. But it should be your, it should be your choice. And luckily, in Colorado, you do have a choice. But in other states, there's not a choice.
0: Yes, for sure. I mean, I am so grateful that I was able to stay home with Alexander and be his CNA. And I, you know, worked on all for kids. And I just had some really kind people help me. And the other thing is, is I'm not a registered nurse. I think I told you I was in IT before I became a special needs mom. So if I had spoken to someone about being a home health agency owner that was a nurse as a consultant, they would have sent me down the path. You need to become a nurse. And we still probably wouldn't have all for kids because life happens, but I can hire a nurse. And, um, and that's what I did is I hired a nurse and I had my consultant who owned a business, Colorado healthcare training and consulting Connie McWilliams, she said she wasn't a nurse and she owned an agency for 22 years, I think it is. And she supported me and she said, Yes, you can do this. You know, I still really am grateful and I really care for families. I like to know when any of our families are in the hospital, the kids or the mom or the dad or whoever the caregiver is, I like to know. And so I pray for them and I pray for the company and. My son thrives because he gets PTOT and speech from our company and he gets CNA services and he gets an RN if he needs it. He's greatly improved. I get to choose the people that work with me. That hasn't always been easy. You know, the it mindset is a whole different mindset than nursing. And, um, yes. And so I have a different, uh, it's a different kind of personality type. I have learned so much and grown through so much in this situation, like it's just unbelievable. Just so you know, I always used to think if you were a special needs parent, that you were at a level above others, like that you had a little bit more, you know, just being a regular everyday person. And what I find is that everybody has character defects just because you're a special needs parent. Everybody has challenges. And I can't hold you to a level of uh, a greater, higher level of integrity or whatever, just because you're a special needs person. I mean, I found challenges through this of people that they have to, they may be a special needs mom and I may know them in the community, but they still have to obey the rules just like everybody else. Really, if they're putting all four kids at risk by whatever, not charting timely, then they're really not my friend anyway, because they're hurting everybody. And we stay on top of that. And it's it's hard because they're a parent and they want to do Their kid comes first and they're tired at the end of the day and they, okay, so my CPR is due what? In two days, I've got to get this done. I'm like, yeah, you have to get it done. You can't work unless you take your CPR. These are the things that like, oh, my kid's in the hospital. I'm sorry I didn't let you know. (laughs) Well,
1: we need to know. You need to be on, you need to be on top of all of it.
0: It's hard for them oftentimes to realize that it is still a job. And it's their child. And so in that obviously we have the regulations that we have and we have to obey them and we have to do right.
1: Yes. I remember. I remember this feeling. Thank you for sharing all of this. I, I would love to hear what your answer would be. Uh, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast, maybe in different states that don't have this program. What would you say to a sp- special needs parent that's listening to this, that's in a state that doesn't have this program, what would you want to say to them?
0: They need to speak to their legislators. They need to advocate, talk to those advocates for special needs and communicate with those special needs agencies that have these programs in other states and how that was started. Most people think, oh, we can't get Medicaid. Well, they might not be able to in their state right now. You know, these waiver programs the children's extensive support waiver the uh, children's life limiting illness waiver the children's home and community based services waivers that we have here in Colorado look them up look at what we have and take that to your people i mean not everybody can you know just up and move and not everybody can there's things that they need to learn how to do try to find the people that are willing to help you here we have special needs attorneys that you know, are nonprofit agencies that help special needs families get services. And there's got to be those in your, your state. And there's, you know, there's something there that you can start. It's not just one person. It's one person that starts it. And then it to yes. two, three, four. It's one person who says, Hey, and then they, they bring their people. And that's what happens is they bring their people and they talk to people and you need a voice. You need a voice for in your community. I love that so much.
1: And, and the last question I have for you in sharing all of that, and as someone that has a lot of experience advocating for your son, what does the word advocacy mean to you?
0: I want to start with an inner knowing that something needs to be done. Like it's not just something that ruminates over time. It's just something that they know there's a lot. There's something here that happens. And then that's the step up. It's the stand. So at that point is okay. Listen to your inner knowing and then stand. And then when it's time, move quickly. Wow.
1: I love that answer so much. That is so true. It's there's this inner whisper saying, this is what needs to happen. And you're saying, that's the beginning, but then act on it. Right? I love that message so much. And I'm so grateful that we got to spend time together. And I'm grateful for you sharing and connecting here and sharing so openly about your family and your business and everything. So I just want to say thank you. And if there's anything last thing you want to say, I'm giving you the space to do that.
0: Well, I, I appreciate Garrett, what you're trying to do. And I hope that the knowledge that you've gained here from the families in Colorado will help where you are now. And also to help where you're going, we stand behind you. We'll be there for you. I think that's, what's important is there's going to be, you know, big, big, challenge for all of these families in these other states to get these needs met. I'll take phone calls. I will support. I will do whatever. And I think there are many families here that would certainly, I mean, if you have an opportunity, Garrett, I suggest you get on the Children's Disability Advisory Committee calls once a month so you can hear what's going on in Colorado. And I would recommend lots of families do that, especially in Colorado. But to find out what's going on, because there are challenges that are happening right now that cost-cutting measures are, are happening here in Colorado that are threatening our families. And we should be expanding these programs and not shutting them down. We should be the model for other states. And that, that's really what it should be. I didn't always advocate. I didn't always know what to do. It it was brought to my attention. And like I said, you know, I just ruminated or that thought or that inner knowing. And I'm really grateful because now I can give back in a way that I couldn't before when I was making $14.50 an hour. And today, you know, I get paid as my son's CNA and I also have a salary from my company. And all of the money that we earn on my son goes to charity and advocacy. Mm, so I don't I earn that. anything on my son. Um, It all goes, it all goes out because we, I don't, I want to, and, and then some, because we need to help these organizations when the nonprofits were going bankrupt and upside down because people weren't helping support them. I, I tried to give more because, you know, we still earn when, you know, we're healthcare and our our families are taking care of their families they can still work. I mean when a, a lot of families couldn't. For me, I gave out covid bonus. Like I was like, okay, everybody gets a covid bonus, take out your family order takeout for, for dinner. I wouldn't have been able to do making 1450 an hour to hundreds of people. So it's just like how can we give back, you know, now and how can we support other organizations that are in this battle? I can't do everything but we have a group of advocates that works together to help and I I feel like you know there's a lot of families that wish they could do more but don't know how and so I think and then there's also the families that are just exhausted and can't do anything else. If you can support the organizations that whether it be volunteering or monetarily they will certainly benefit. I mean this from anything that can be done to help.
1: Wow, it is always so amazing to hear these stories from families up in Colorado. And this story is just another one. So we thank you so much, Andrea, for being on this episode with us. And if you are listening to this episode on April 7th, I wanted to remind you that tomorrow we are coming out with another video on our YouTube channel. So if you go over to YouTube and search The Unforgotten Families, please go there and subscribe. We come out with a new video every month. We really appreciate you supporting. We appreciate you being tough advocates, and we will see you on the next episode.